Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Hello everybody, this is Richard Harris. I want to welcome you to the Truth and Liberty Livecast. I'm so happy to have you with us tonight. Thanks for tuning in. It's going to be an incredible show. Uh, and I want to remind everybody that if you're watching uh, on YouTube tonight, I encourage you to jump off and watch directly on our, live, on our website at truthandliberty.net. I'm really excited about tonight's program because our very special guest is former United States Congressman Bob McEwen. Bob served in the United States House of Representatives for 16 years under the Reagan and Bush administrations. He is still to this day a, uh, a leader of leaders among the conservative movement. And uh, Bob has become a real friend to the ministry here at Andrew Womack Ministries, Karis Bible College and Truth and Liberty Coalition. In fact, he teaches in the Practical Government School on the subject of free enterprise. And I have never heard, I've never heard anybody who is more articulate uh, on the subject of free enterprise and limited government than Bob McEwen. Uh, he is able to take complex and difficult subjects with men, which many people struggle with and reduce them down into simple statements and concepts that anybody can understand. He's a powerful proponent of free enterprise. And what he does in this segment, which you're about to hear, is he lays out the biblical foundation for free enterprise and limited government versus socialism and big government. And he does it in a way that will leave you uh, just astounded. Um, it's, it's incredible, and he's, he does a masterful job at it. So um, this uh, segment, as I said, is a part of the Biblical Worldview series that Andrew Womack has produced. So we are now into our third installment of that. There's Biblical Worldview Foundational Truths, Biblical Worldview Sexuality, and now Biblical Worldview Socialism. And this segment uh, comes right out of that Biblical Worldview Socialism series. Uh, um, uh, uh, product that you can get on Andrew Womack Ministries, or you can also get a link for it on the truthandliberty.net website. And I encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Get Biblical Worldview today so that you can be equipped and you can also share it with your friends and family and they can be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. So now I want to just uh, allow you the opportunity to hear about socialism from our good friend and colleague, former United States Congressman Bob McEwen. I know you're going to enjoy this live cast, so here you go. I'm Bob McEwen, and I'm delighted to be back with you. Today, we want to make a mention about as to why socialism never works, why freedom works, and why socialism doesn't. You know, Thomas Jefferson said that, and along with other great philosophers, he said that all great disquisitions have a place upon which all subsequent decisions depend. There has to be a place that we start, and everything flows from there. And if I may borrow from the instruction that God gave to Moses, you know, 
Moses was taking the children of Israel across the desert and, and they had lots of problems and he was a one-man band. He had to answer all the difficulties. And so his father-in-law said to him, he said, you know, this is going to kill you. You need to set up a federal, state, and local government. You need to get people that are in charge of thousands and hundreds and tens. But the, here's the kind of people that uh, God said, here's the kind of people that you put in charge. And I'm going to give you only three things. I can't give you an entire course. We don't have time for a four-year graduate course in political science. But God said you should look for these three things of the people that you would have in power. And he said, first of all, those that fear God. And that's why this biblical worldview is so effective because, as I mentioned in the last lesson, that there are three sources of liberty, and that is their spiritual liberty, economic liberty, and political liberty. And they're all so intertwined that if you weaken one, then you destroy the other. And so there has to be a starting point, and we've decided that uh, we would use what the Bible says. And the Bible says that, that uh, there, there's one standard, and that's where we decide whether or not we're going to follow what God says or we're going to follow what we want to say. And that is, in every barroom brawl, every schoolyard scuffle, it boils down to two words, and that is, who says? And the answer to that is either what God says or what I say. And if I want to be God, then I'll decide all these things on my own. But, but God said when you choose a, a person in a position of leadership, you don't want somebody who's going to do his own thing. And that is you have to have someone who fears God. Now, uh, there, as I say, there's only two options. Either you think you're God, and uh, as a little aside here, you probably don't want to marry a person who thinks they're God. And uh, you don't want to go into business with a person who thinks they're God. And particularly, you don't want to elect people to office who think that they're God. And so when God had the three requirements, he said, first of all, those that fear God. Now, how, how does that work? Either you believe that man created God, or you believe that God created man. And from that decision, everything else flows. And our founders were not ambivalent on the question, as you know. They decided that they were going to go with what God says. Now, if you believe that man got here on his own, and by the way, under socialism, uh, the state is supreme. There is, there is no God. And so what, what socialism wants to do, whether it be under Hitler or whether it be under Stalin or when Pol Pot or in Cambodia or when they took over in South Vietnam and they had the re-education camps, you think, well, what would they teach in these re-education? Would they teach economic philosophy, the philosophy of socialism? No. What they taught was evolution because either God is supreme or man is supreme. And so by evolution, they were teaching the people in South Vietnam that to get rid of God because from now on, your hero is going to be the state. And so what we have here is the question of whether or not man is supreme or God is supreme. And if man is supreme, then man has his own standard. But of course, as we know, if God is supreme, God has his own standard. But if man has his own standard, then what man does is basically good because he set the record, so he would naturally be good. We recognize that God has a standard in which we all fall short. However, if man is basically good, and here's the point, then anything that he does has to be okay. That is, he can't do anything wrong because he's basically good. So if anything goes wrong, it's not his fault. 
It has to be the fault of the group or the fault of society. And so everyone must conform to this standard. Everyone must go through magnetometers. Even if you're a 60-year-old grandmother, everybody has to conform because we're not holding individuals accountable. We're going to hold the group accountable. And that was the significance of the founding of America, and it's the significance of free enterprise that you and I are judged on what we do as individuals. Under socialism and under the state being supreme, then people are treated as a herd or as a group or as a, as a tribe. But we know that uh, under God's standard, we all fall short. And then here's the most important thing, and that is in why it's essential in, in studying how freedom comes about. Where do rights come from? Rights only come from two sources. Either they come from man, from the group, and so because my Hispanic rights or my African-American rights or my women's rights, or, or they come from God. And America was founded upon the, the understanding that our rights from, come from God. Now, with that distinction, how does that play out in public policy? Well, it, it, you recognize that if there is no godly standard for people to behave, then you have to have more and more government. You have to have people, you have to have barbed wire, and you have to have fences, and you have to have places to tell you where you can go and what you can do and what you can say. But uh, those that have a godly standard, we want limited government because we're following what he says. And of course, if there's more government, how do you get more government? You get more taxes. And uh, those that want limited government, they want more freedom and so they want lower taxes. And then there are those that uh, if, if you don't believe in your country, then you don't want a strong defense. You want, a, you want the money used to control the individuals. You don't want to protect it from the outside. And those that believe in freedom, they believe that the purpose of government is not to control the individual. The purpose of government is to control, uh, protect us from from the outside and to preserve our freedom. And then finally, and here's the most important, is how you can listen to a politician for 60 seconds and you can tell where they stand. And that, that is that if you are God, then you can decide what marriage is. In fact, as absurd as this sounds to those of us who do believe in God, you will tell young people that they can choose whether or not they're a boy or a girl that they take the creation of Almighty God and they distort it to where they are God and they are supreme. And that is why that which was instructed to Moses, he said, the first thing you look for, do they fear God? And in America, we began with, the, with that understanding that our rights come from God. And so, secondly, fear God and men of truth. It's essential in any operation in order to have success, if there is not a truth, a standard of right and wrong, then there can be no prosperity. And there are two dials that we consider, that we turn to have a country succeed or fail, and we, we vote for. One is called integrity, a godly standard of right and wrong. And the higher the integrity, that is that if I look you in the eye and I shake my hand and, and you and I make a commitment that we're going to honor it, that is freedom. That is, that is what makes the basis in which we, we can have economic commerce. 
The degree to which we can't do that, the more bars we have to put on the windows, the more people we have to bribe to get a permit. If we're in Africa and, the, and we have to have soldiers ride along on the train to make sure it doesn't get robbed and then we ha have to have it protected in order to, to get onto the ship, the more money we spend because of a lack of integrity, the poorer the nation is. So you have high integrity with a low burden of government. That's the greatest wealth. The lower the integrity, and the higher the burden of government, the higher taxes and regulations, the greater the poverty. And so socialism is with low integrity, they don't have, we don't need God, but a very high burden of government, and that leads to Venezuela. That leads to poverty. It leads to Southern California. The degree that we adjust these, but the higher the integrity our nation was founded upon, and the lower the burden of government, the greater the wealth. And how do, we, how do we define that term as abiding by God's principles? We use the term truth. And if I may, let me just uh, elaborate on that just a bit. That is that I can say that this room that I'm in is 25 feet wide and you can look at it and you can say it's 22 and somebody else can say it's 30. And, and we're basically, it's just our opinion, it really doesn't matter, it's, it's fine, we can all get along with that. Until someone comes and measures it. And when they measure it, that measurement is truth. And so someone comes in and they measure it and it's 18 feet and I've already said three times that it's 25 feet. Everyone knows that what I said was wrong. Therefore, error hates truth. Why? Because truth reveals error. But not only that, not only does it reveal error, and so all of us would gather together, and, and uh, one says it's 18, one says it's 20, one says it's 25. They all want to get rid of the truth because then they can have their own opinion. And that's the only alternative. There's the truth, 18 feet, everything else is just opinion. And so the truth reveals the error. But more than that, the truth overcomes the error. That is, that uh, you're prosecuting a person for stealing an ATM machine. And um, the defense counsel says, why? He wouldn't think of such a thing, why he loves his mother and he was out in, in Colorado having dinner with his sister and here's the receipts from the restaurant and why he wouldn't have done such. And you don't care what she says because when you're finished, she's, you're going to present a security camera which shows him coming up to the ATM machine putting a chain around it, see his face as he leans over the camera, his fingers as he puts it on his fingerprints, and the truth will overcome the error such that the only way she can succeed is that she has to prevent the presentation of truth. Now that's why socialists burn books. Conservatives don't burn books, because we're not afraid. You can say anything you want. We're we stand with the truth. They have to shout down the truth. They have to take away a person's Twitter account. They have to shout and scream at them when they come on campus to make sure that they can't speak. They, they have to, uh, to, to block out their Facebook statements because error cannot survive the presentation of truth. Therefore, error has to destroy truth. So if you go to, to pray at an at a inaugural, at the governor's inaugural and uh, you get up to pray and you pray in the name of Mother Earth and you pray in the name of Eagle Feathers and, and you pray, it, nobody cares. You could name any great philosopher, no one would care.
But if you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, all hell breaks loose. There's all competition and opposition and demonstrations and letters to the editor and demands in the state of Ohio. You're allowed to pray in the state legislature in the name of anyone other than Jesus Christ. And you'll notice in the U.S. Senate, where we've always had prayer, that they, they don't want to use the name Jesus. Why? Because as Christ said, I am the truth. Everything else is just opinion. And that's why they're so tolerant as long as there's not truth around. But once there's truth, that, that tolerance goes away. And so our founders said, all right, we're going to build a country in which we can have, people can come and be free. They can be economically free, they can be politically free, and they can be spiritually free. And so they, they wrote in, in our birth certificate that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator so that our rights come from God with certain inalienable rights. And among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So what does that say? It says that the purpose of the United States government was to keep people free. But first of all, more than that, to protect innocent life. No other nation on earth did that. And that's, that's why this nation is so different than every place else. A Jew could be chased from all corners of the planet, but they knew if they could just get under the canopy of protection of the American flag, they would be safe. Because in America, the purpose of the United States government at every level is to protect innocent life. Then liberty, notice the sequence, because liberty is of precious little value if you're dead. You have to have life first, and then liberty, and then sewer systems and overpasses. But the first thing that you do is life, and that's what makes our nation different. And you'll notice that those who want to destroy America, the first thing that they do is they want to do away with innocent, taking innocent life. They want to have the right to do that. Then they begin to take your liberty. And how do they take your liberty? They take your liberty by increasing your taxes, taking money away from you, and then deciding who can go into business with more and more regulation and control. And that's what our, our issue is here today because we want to remind ourselves as to why that is so ineffective and, we're, and we're, we're going to go into that. Now I said God gave Moses only three things. He said, I can't lecture you all day, but here's what you look for. Those that fear God. If a man thinks he's God, you don't want him in government. Lovers of truth. Where does truth come from? It comes from the Word of God. It comes from everything else is, is, a, is dependent upon, if it's in violation of what God's Word is, then you know that it's man's opinion. And, and you don't want to do that. You want to be a lover of truth. And finally, he said this. He said, hating socialism. Now stop and think about that. God can only name three things. He said, hating socialism. The term that he used was covetousness. Covetousness is wanting something that somebody else has. And so we had on the wall for 200 years, we had thou shalt not kill. So we didn't have to have magnetometers at the school board when you're coming into the school because we, we taught people thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. And so when I came out of school, uh, there would be 200 bicycles, all of them there. Not one of them would have a bicycle lock. I never owned a bicycle lock in my life. Why? Because we were taught, thou shalt not steal. And uh, all of, the, as you know, the Ten Commandments, that, that uh, we didn't have to 
to say about uh, promiscuity because we, we, were, we were taught to be, to be faithful. The final, the 10th commandment says this, that thou shalt not covet. That is, you don't wanna take what someone else has. And that's the distinction between socialism and free enterprise. I grew up in a small town in a, in a very poor area called Appalachia in Southern Ohio. And in my little town, there, there were three uh, Cadillacs in that entire town, all three black Cadillacs. And all three of those black Cadillacs belonged to the three funeral homes. And the way that you knew they were having a funeral was they would park the Cadillac out front. And I would ride my bicycle and sit under a tree and I would look at that car and I would say, someday I want to have a car like that. It never crossed my mind to go take it. That's stealing, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to covet it to want what he has. What we say in America is someday I want to have a house like that. You know, we've traveled around the world somewhat and, and um, people will often come up to you as a member of Congress and they'll say, you know, I've been to America, I've been to America and uh, my wife is an engaging sort, and so she said, well, what is there about America? Is there anything in particular that, that startles you or, or that impressed you or that, that uh, was a surprise? And the answer that comes back more than anything else is this. It says that in America, you don't have walls around your properties. And you think in much of the world, they have walls. In fact, in Latin America, they have walls, but they have cut glass on the top of the walls. He said, you don't know where your yard stops or where your neighbors begin. Why? Because in America, we didn't covet what other people had. If we wanted a nice home, he didn't have to put a wall around it because we weren't going to take it. We were going to someday hopefully have one of our own, and that's what free enterprise allows us to do. Under socialism, government decided who the rich people were, as we learned in lesson number four, but in free enterprise, people reward us based upon what we can do for others. And so what, what God says is thou shalt not covet. The principle of socialism is that if you vote for me, I will take what that person has and I'll give it to you. If you don't wanna pay for your college education, you vote for me, I'll take it from that person and I'll, take, I'll pay your college education bill. Now, if we were in the mafia and we were in downtown Chicago or New York and we hired someone to go take money from that person and give it to you, we would consider that very ignoble. We would consider that to be a crime and indeed it is. But socialism is when you vote to elect person to do precisely the same thing. And that's why poverty, the more crime in an area, the more people steal from people, the, the higher, the more crime, the poorer that neighborhood is. Socialism is the same idea. That is that I will use the police power of the state to take from that person and give it to you. And that makes everyone worse off. And so Venezuela, 20 years ago, the fourth richest nation in the entire Western Hemisphere. And they elect Mr. Chavez who said, see those oil companies? I'm gonna take those oil companies, gonna take that money and I'm gonna give you free oil. And he did, and he did. And in the process, and everybody voted and cheered and clapped and said, isn't that wonderful? Look what we have. But when you violate the principles of covetousness, of taking something that's not yours, which is the whole basis of socialism, they're, they're actually synonyms, they mean the same thing. When you do that, then the oil company began to fall apart 
didn't have the money to produce. The people are left with everything. And now, as we see, this great, wonderful country of Venezuela, the, um, there are no zoo animals. They've all been eaten. There are no dogs or cats in, the, in, in Caracas because they've all been consumed. People are starving. The average person is 19 pounds lighter than he was because socialism always creates poverty because it doesn't produce. Now, under free enterprise, as we mentioned the last time, the way that, that we get people to give us money is under free enterprise. We don't take it. We do something for them that is a greater blessing to them than the money that they have. I'd rather have that Diet Coke than to have this. I'd rather have that typewriter or that computer. I'd rather have the, and we, we figure out ways to make things for people such that people reward us. And here's the principle and why America has more Nobel Prize winners than the rest of the world, why it has more inventions than the rest of the world. It's not because we're smarter than anybody else or that we work harder than anyone else. It's because we're freer, where we have the freedom to, to go in, into, into business and, and produce. And so we, we, if you go around the globe, you'll see Wendy's and you'll see Burger King and you'll see Kentucky Fried Chicken and you'll see all these things all over the world because of Americans were able, under free enterprise as opposed to socialism, were able to go into business for themselves. And let's just touch a quick second on what we did uh, in the lesson number four. And, and that, that is that under socialism, you, they can't, you can't go into business. You have to get a permit. You have to get a license. You have to get approval of the government. And they decide who's going to prosper and who isn't. In America, you could float into the harbor in Long Beach at, at uh, 8 in the morning, and you could own three 7-Elevens by midnight that night because we want to keep that, and that's the fight that's going on, and that's why this biblical worldview uh, effort is so important because we have young people who, who take the siren song that some politician comes along and says, you know, I'm going to pay all your bills, and I'm going to give you these things, and they don't ask that next question. Where are you going to get it? Because as we discussed, when a criminal comes along and he takes something, he hasn't given anything in return. No one has been benefited. Therefore, he doesn't have anything to give. He only has what he took from someone else. And under socialism, the government doesn't produce anything. And just a little note to remember, government doesn't produce anything. Government only has what it took from someone else. And that's why the greater the government, the greater the poverty. And America is, free, is, is abundant because it has less government than other nations. And as a member of Congress, I can remember uh, th those that would stand up on the floor of the House and say, we're the only nation on earth that doesn't do this. And we're the only nation that doesn't do that. And I would always jump to the microphone and say, isn't that wonderful that you have 198 countries that you could go to where they do all those things? Well, why do people cut over, crawl over cut glass and barbed wire and leaky boats to get here where they don't do those things? Because they wanted the freedom. And we are now in a question of where, whether or not we're going to preserve it or whether or not we're going to go after more freedom or more government, more socialism. Now, who, who has money under free enterprise? Only three people create wealth. Only three. One is called a saver. That's a person that has put money aside. Then it's the entrepreneur or the business person. We call him a farmer or, or a person that, that goes in, into business. And there's the, there's the uh, producer, the person that goes to work every day and makes something. 
And so if, a, if an entrepreneur, that's a person like you or, or me, and together we decide we want to have a strip mall. In order to have the strip mall, uh, we need money. And so we have to go to a saver, that's somebody who has the money, whether it be in a bank or an individual or elsewhere. And then by creating this business, we then can hire 500 folks who are the, the producers. And those three people are the three people that create all the wealth that there is. And so we honor those people in America under free enterprise because they, they're the risk takers. They're the people that, that, that dream up ways to, to do these, these good things. Now, um, they're rewarded by people voluntarily giving them money. And the greater the contribution, the greater the reward. 5,000 cups of coffee, one return, 50,000 cups of coffee, another 5 million cups of coffee. The greater the, the greater the contribution, the greater the reward. That's why we, we mentioned about Bill Gates, who taught, made it possible for all of us to use computers. He changed the way the entire world functioned. The greater the contribution, so he became the richest man on earth. And then, uh, Sam Walton became the richest man on earth because he gathered things together. We could just go one place and, and, and it cost less. It was more convenient to get to. People greeted you when you came to the store. And, and the greater the contribution, one store, a hundred stores, a thousand stores, the greater the contribution, the greater the wealth. And so we, we honor those people. Now, some people don't like that. And that's why I want to get back to our principle of what we were saying about money. Money is a representation of a contribution we've made to others. So the greater the contribution we have, the more money we have. And that's why in America and in the free enterprise, we respect people who have money because we know how they got it. Now, as I mentioned the story about the situation in, in Indonesia, where if they saw a person with a fancy American car, they knew that they got that money because they were friends of the government, not because they had the best product. In America, you can have a fine product and somebody comes along with a better one, you go out of business. So we respect the people that make that struggle, that make that effort to keep the farm going, to keep the restaurant open, to keep the shop uh, functioning. We honor those people and the more that they bless, the more money they have and therefore we respect them. Socialism doesn't like people that are successful and they want to be everyone to be equal. Therefore, they complain and they are jealous, they are covetous, they want what the other people have, and they basically go five places to hide. One of the places that they go is government. Now, in free enterprise, you're rewarded not because of who you are, but because of what you do for others. Under socialism, you're rewarded not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. That's why you always want to be a part of this group. So the group in in Chicago that has the worst school system in America and the teachers didn't want to go to didn't want to teach for over a year and a half. They just said, we, we don't want to do it. How are they able to do that? Because they have a government contract that, that they, the people don't voluntarily pay them or they'd be out of business. And so people who don't want to compete in the free market, they go to hide in government. So let's take our example of making our, our shopping center. So we have the entrepreneur, and he gets the money, $5 million from the person to help build it to put the, make the 500 jobs. And you have to go get a, a permit from the local uh, constabulary there. And he says, I think you need to have a duck pond in the middle of the parking lot there. We need to have some green space. And you say, well, if we have that green space, there's not enough places to park, therefore the store can't function. And, and he doesn't care because 
he doesn't have to respond. He's part of government, government which is socialism, government control, and he can tell you what to do, not because of, of what he's done for others, but because of who he is from his position. And so a lot of people go to hide, in which they don't have to compete, they go to government. Another place that they often go is to education. And there are many, many dedicated educators that want to help the children, but that there are those, particularly in college campuses, that with their three or four uh, degrees, they're smoking their pipe with the patches on their, on their tweed coat and just saying if people were just as smart as they were. And they, they are mad at a system because they think they're entitled, not because they've done anything for anybody, but because of who they are, they should get paid more. And so they constantly trash our economic system. That's why you have to be very careful about where you send your, allow your children to go to college because the colleges are filled with people who are not interested in producing but want to be rewarded just because of who they are. And then another place that they would go is organized religion. And there are many people in organized religion who feel that they, they, are, they, they believe that they should be rewarded because of who they are. And how do you know which one of those we're talking about? I say that you should go to church on Christmas Sunday and if the pastor berates the people in the pews for their failure to elect a government to do what Christ called the church to do, you've got a modernist church. There are three institutions created in the scriptures. There's the family, there's the church, and there's government. And indeed, we're instructed to care for the poor, to help the poor. Two-thirds of the time, he's talking about you and me. Third of the time he talks about the church. There's never a verse any place in the Bible that says that we are supposed to elect people in government to come and take from others and give to them. So, so that is what the modern church has done. And those who want to engage in socialism, they often, they often get involved in religion. And that's the distinction and it's important. Those that follow scripture and follow Christ who are those who follow their, modern, their modernism. Another place that they go is, of course, welfare. That is that they're dependent upon the government. They feel they're entitled to it. If government cared, they, they should care for me as to who I am. And then another place that they often go to hide is the arts. And in the arts, they feel, many feel that uh, if people won't buy their paintings or if people won't listen to their music, they get mad about that. And so they sit on a balcony in Soho in New York and say, the peasants here, they should pay taxes. If this country really cared about the arts the way they should, then those, those people should pay taxes to care for me. Now, the, 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 those people, when you're dealing with those people, they will tend to be in favor of socialism. And so when you see all of the awards from Hollywood, they'll constantly make their derogatory statements about America because some of them are able to be successful, but the vast majority of them have a contempt for competing in the marketplace. That's the, the socialist part. Back where we were talking about the three people that created wealth, the saver, the, the entrepreneur, producer, the worker, those people are excited about what they do is they climb. The others, they are rewarded not because of who they are, because of what they do for others. And that is the distinction between socialism and freedom. As we said, money is a representation of how much we have done for the others. And then the, one of the most important things that, to recall is the chart that I mentioned about the freedom chart. And, and let me just run through that again, if I may. And that is that if, if there's a line, 100% of everything that is produced by a city or a state or a nation, or a $100 bill, and someone takes away 25% of it, 
You then have less money, which means you can make fewer choices. You have a lower standard of living. If someone comes along and takes half of it away, even fewer choices, even lower standard of living. If someone comes along and takes 75% or takes it all, a person is a slave if they come and take it all. And the people that can do that are criminals and government. Now, the question would be, why is that that that's so bad? People say, you know, if I elect the, these people that are compassionate, they claim they want to do good things for people. They want everyone to be healthy. They want everyone to be rich. And it sounds good at first. It really, really does. Like, for example, if you're speaking to some college students and you say, you know, it only takes a, a person to live comfortably on $50 a day, and this person over here is making $100 a day. And this poor fellow sitting on his park bench over here, he's not getting anything. I mean, he just, he just has to hold his little, little sign saying, I, I, I need help. And he said, now, a compassionate government, if we should come in there, we should take the $50 from this fellow that he doesn't need. He, he can live on 50. He's making 100. Let's take the 50 and give it to him. They'll both have $50 and they'll both be better off. And if you're a teenager in college and, and they're trying to sell that, then that might make a little bit of sense. But if you've ever dealt with, with human nature, you know that this fellow's gonna say, now wait a minute. I get up early in the morning, I leave my family and my kids, I work hard, I come home tired and worn out, and I get $50? And that fellow wakes up when he feels like it, sits on a park bench all day, does what he wants to, and he gets $50? I think I like his program better. And so in Cuba, in Venezuela, in Mexico, in these places, these people quit producing. And then there's everybody's in poverty. And it only works that way, by the way, every time. It works that way every time. And let me, so let, let me just give you this example as to, as to why socialism will never, ever work. That is, let us suppose that you're going to buy something for yourself. And uh, it's your money, so therefore you care about the price of it, but only you can make that judgment as to how much you really want it, how much it's worth, and that is its quality. And some of us can stand and watch, but you can decide whether or not that's the shirt that you want or that's the car you want to buy. Uh, you might pay $4 for a cup of coffee at 7 in the morning, for which you wouldn't pay 35 cents at 2.30 in the afternoon. When it's your money buying something for yourself, you're going to make sure you get the maximum benefit because you judge the price and the quality. That's called a first-party purchase. Now, let us suppose that you don't control one of those two things. Let us suppose that you're going to buy something for someone else so you would control it, and you would be concerned about the price because you're paying for it. But you're going to give it to someone else, and so you're a little more flexible on the quality. That is, that uh, mm, by the time it breaks, they'll be married for three years. They'll forget who gave it to them anyway. This will be fine. We've all purchased things for people we never would have bought for ourselves. We've all received things as gifts we never would have bought. Do we care about the price? Yes, because we're paying for it. But we're not so concerned about the quality because we're not going to consume it. Now, let us suppose it's the other way around. Let us suppose we're going to consume it, but we're not going to pay for it. Let us suppose that where you, uh, you're going to breakfast and, uh, and uh, the, lady, the waitress comes by and says, would you like to have some orange juice? 
and you say, well, how much is the orange juice? And you say, she says, it's three and a half dollars a glass. And you think, well, mm, no, really, I'm fine. I, 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 don't, I, don't need, I don't need any orange juice. She said, oh, I see you got pancakes. Well, well it comes with the pancakes. <laughs> well, in that case, pour away. I'll, I'll take three glasses. Uh, you, you, might, you might go off and leave half a glass. You wouldn't if you'd paid for it, but you cared about the quality because you're consuming it, but you're not so concerned about the price because you're not paying for it. That's called a second party purchase. And then the final example is this. Let us suppose that where you work, everyone that comes to work late has to put $5 in the kitty and at the end of the month they take all the money and they, they raffle it off to see who wins and, and it's the last day of the month and the boss says, John, uh, why don't you see how much money's in the kitty and, and buy something with it and then we'll, we'll raffle it off at the end of the day. And so you, you count the money out and it's $150. And so you go to lunch and you forget all about it. You're coming back and you think, oh my goodness, I forgot. What, what did I? And you look over and there in the store window across the street is a stuffed six foot tall frog. And you go over and check the price of the six foot tall stuffed frog and it's $149 and you think, oh, this is great. And so you buy the frog and you, you take it over and you shove it in the, in the closet and the end of the day, the boss invites everybody down and lectures them about being late and we can't be doing this and all. And so then everybody draws a number to see who wins, who wins, Sally, the new secretary wins. What does she win? Open up a six foot tall frog. They just laugh and clap, thinks this is so wonderful. They go out, carry it out to her car and put in the front seat. She drives by the parking lot. Everybody claps and cheers as she drives off. Now, what is that called? That is called a third party purchase. It's purchasing something with money that's not yours, therefore you don't care about the price. To purchase something you're not going to personally consume, therefore you don't care about the quality. Now, what I'm about to say is not Democrat or Republican or conservative or Christian Democrat or whatever. This, this is just the facts. All government purchases are third party purchases made with money that's not theirs to purchase things they will not personally consume. Therefore, will there be waste in the highway department? You betcha. Will there be waste in the defense department? You can count on it. And that's why we believe, as Abraham Lincoln said, that government should do only those things which a man cannot do better for himself. You and I can't build a highway. You and I can't run a sewer system. So government should do only those things which we cannot do better for ourselves. Why? Because every time we take a dollar from an individual, to save, invest, and use to the maximum benefit of themselves and their family, and run it through a third-party system called government, we're in the process of making the nation poorer. And you show me what percentage of the gross domestic product, how much of the goods that are produced in the country go to government, and the principle applies. The greater the government, the greater the poverty. The greater the freedom, the greater the wealth. And as I said, it only works that way every time. And that's all politics is. Are you going to make a state rich or a state poor? Are you going to make a city rich or a city poor? Are you going to make a nation rich or a nation poor? And you can just watch it. Now that you understand it, you can see this clearly just 20 years ago. 
California, fifth largest gross domestic product in the world, the fifth richest nation, if it were an individual nation. They elected people who said, we're going to not enforce the law. We're not going to abide by truth. We won't enforce the law in these places. These crooks, if they're caught, we're not going to turn them over to, to the, the government. We're just going to let them roam free. We're going to open up the gates, let people come. Uh, a lack of, of, of truth. They weren't trustworthy. And then we're going to tax the people that are there. The highest taxes, second only to New York. And so what happened? People began to flee, and this great state of the golden state of California is overrun with poverty. A third of all the people on welfare in the entire country are now living in California. You can make any rich place poor, like Detroit, richest city in the world, now poorest city in North America. You can make any rich place poor, or you can make any poor place rich. You know, South Carolina was was poor for so long, cut taxes, invited people to come, lowered the cost and burden of government. People left from New York and left from these other places, and now the gross domestic product is growing and the red states are all prospering. That's why it's so important for you to understand what socialism is all about. Socialism says that if you will vote for me, I will steal from someone else and make life easier for you. That is an immoral act. It's not a trustworthy act. So our nation was founded. This whole biblical worldview, these lessons, are established for the single purpose of you understanding what all of the founders knew when they made this country. So we're going to set it up the way that God said it should be set up, those that fear God. And so we're going to make it that way to start. And, uh, and while we're on the topic, might as well just point out that when they were writing the Constitution, they couldn't agree because there were half of the people lived in three states and half of the people lived in, in ten states. They, they, there was no way to get around that, and so they, they, couldn't, they couldn't agree upon it. And uh, in, in the course of it, uh, they began to break apart. There were five states that said that they wanted to have slavery. And uh, the northern states, people like John Adams and people in Massachusetts said, absolutely not. We didn't fight for independence to have slavery. And so uh, it began after five and a half weeks, it began to, to fall apart and they weren't able to, to make any headway at all. And George Mason, who was George Washington's best friend and next door neighbor, he, he, he began to go home and, and uh, Washington pleaded with him. He said, Mason, you know, this chance might not come again. And, and, and Mason said, he said, George, I, I can't stay and do this forever. He said, he said the, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I've got a farm to run and, and I can't talk about politics all summer long. And, and he said, well, let us just try because no one had ever done this before. No one had ever set up a government based upon the idea that because God made them that they would have significance. Always before it was their bloodline or it was the land that they owned. And that's why, that's why Karl Marx and that's why the communists could, could say that, that it, there would be a rebellion among the people because they don't, they don't have a chance. And so those that own the property and those, the, the bourgeoisie, we're going to overwhelm them and we're going to take it from them. America made communism and socialism obsolete because it said that anybody could come and anybody could buy property. They didn't have to inherit it from the rich landlord or the duke or whatever the king had given. 
And so that idea was just about to give birth and it was falling apart and they, and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't quite get there. And so a fellow by the name of Benjamin Franklin. Now Benjamin Franklin was one of the people in the room that had signed the Declaration of Independence 11 years before when we declared who we were. And I quoted that a little bit earlier, just a moment ago. And so now they're trying to form the United States government. And they couldn't decide how to do it because there was such opposition. And so Benjamin Franklin, who was the most respected man in the world, uh, asked to speak for the first time. And he said, Mr. President, he said, I have lived a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall without his notice, is it likely that an empire could rise without his aid? He said, we've been instructed in the sacred writings, except the Lord build the house, the labor in vain that build it. Well, I believe that without his guidance, we shall be no more successful in this political building than were the builders of Babel. He said, in the conflict with Great Britain, we had daily prayer in this room. Our prayers were heard and they were graciously answered. And have we now forgotten this powerful friend or do we imagine we no longer need him? He said, we've gone back into ancient history and looked at the governments and examined the different forms that now no longer exist. We have tried to use them for our benefit and discovered that in our situation, groping in the dark to find political truth, we have, no one has decided to humbly apply and ask for God's direction and understanding. He said, so, he said, I propose this. He said, I believe that we should not have forgotten this powerful friend. Or do we imagine now that we no longer need him? He said, I, I now move that we call upon God in prayer and ask for his wisdom and let us see what God might do. Now, let me just tell you a little bit. That speech was delivered on June 28, 1787. You can look it up. It's, it's quite lengthy. He makes 14 separate scriptural references. He doesn't cite the verse, but it, like the Tower of Babel, and except the Lord built the house, they labor in vain that build it, and a sparrow cannot fall without his own. He, he makes 14 scriptural references that everyone in that room knew because they had studied the scriptures. And so he said, let's call upon God because we don't know what to do, asking for his wisdom. Wisdom comes with knowledge and experience, but some things we've never experienced before. And so the scripture says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't scold us for asking. And so they decided that they would recess for three days of fasting and prayer. They began the next Monday morning on their knees. And then in the next several weeks, just a matter of a few weeks, they wrote the Constitution of the United States, creating the oldest government on the planet. Every government on earth has changed since that time. This is the oldest government. It's been a template available to anybody to use, and, and yet no one has followed it. And as a consequence, this nation said, our founders said, let's don't forget how this came about. We went to the source of wisdom, not man's opinion, but God's wisdom. And so he said, never again shall Congress meet without first calling upon God in prayer. And then there has to be a starting point, a per person holding a position of public trust, 
Let's first swear allegiance on the Bible. And then in case people forget, let us make sure that they're reminded in every official document. Now, I don't care if the president is declaring Groundhog Day, it will say on the document, done in this, the year of our Lord, the 2021st or 23rd or 25th, done in this, the year of our Lord and of the independence of the United States, the 245th. The two starting points will be the, the birth of Jesus Christ for our freedom and the birth of the United States, which gave our national freedom, and every official document shall do that. When we've chosen to follow God's way, he is blessed as no nation has ever been blessed. As every, when a tsunami hits the largest Muslim nation on earth, to whom do they turn? They, they turn to the believers in America who have been blessed by following God's way. And, there are skyscrapers all over the world. Why? Because an American named Elisha Otis invented the elevator and made it possible. In places where it's 100 and 120 degrees. Why? Because an American named Willis Carrier invented the air conditioner that made it possible. Now, when, when you do things God's way, you prosper. When you do things man's way, you fail. And man's way is for selfishness for covetousness. God's way is to be a blessing. And that's what the capitalistic free enterprise system is. That if I'm sitting here by myself and I don't do anything for anybody, then I'm going to live in poverty. But if I figure out a way to do something good for a person, only under free enterprise, only under capitalism, only under the American free enterprise system, if I can wash that man's car, if I can mow that person's lawn, if I can paint that person's barn, if I can put those person's groceries on the shelf, if I can do something for someone, then I will prosper. And when you listen to socialists, when you listen to those on the left, when they're running for office, all they ever talk about is redistributing wealth. Now, the, the term for that is stealing, that is, if I come over to your room and I take your television set and I have redistributed your television set to my room, and we have a term for that that's called theft, that's called stealing. Socialism tries to dress it up and make it sound noble. And so it, it, it does it by saying, well, the person that you're taking it from, they shouldn't have had it anyway. And that's why this course is so important and that's why you are so important that you understand this, because people need to hear, is that how the person that we're stealing it from, how did they get it? Under socialism, we know how they got it. We know that the second richest man on earth, Carlos Slim, is, lives in Mexico City, and he has the control over every telephone that is sold in Mexico. He can set the price any way he wants, Therefore, he makes lots and lots of money because there is no competition. There's nothing anybody can do about it. We know about those people. In America, the way that a person can be successful is that they gave a better product at a lower price. And so we respect them and, and we honor them. We don't discourage them. We don't attack them. Why is it? I mentioned about the, the little app that said which gate I was coming in at the airport and which gate would be going out at the adjoining flight. Did the person make that app because they didn't want me to get lost. <laughs> well, they really didn't know what I wanted. They don't even know me. 
they knew that someone could benefit from that, and if it worked, and it worked well, that they would be rewarded. And that's why the vast, far more apps are made in America than the entire 96% of the world left behind. Under free enterprise, we honor people who are successful. We honor people who are wealthy because the way that they got there was because people gave them money for the service they provided. Socialism says, I want to punish those people for having made that app. She, that little girl now has a million dollars because she sold a million of them at 99 cents a piece. I'm a congressman from Massachusetts and I'm gonna come and take it away from them. Well, that, that discourages those people and they either flee to, flee to a country that's freer where they don't steal it from them or they don't make anything at all. And that's what is lying before us. That's what it, America is right at the cusp. We now have those that are under age 35 or so that have been taught by teachers who do not understand how wealth is created. They don't understand the difference between free enterprise and socialism. And so they, when they have, people have their part of their, their social group on their telephone and socialism doesn't frighten them. They don't understand what socialism is like. The socialism comes in and tells you what you can wear, what, what, whether or not you can cover your face, whether or not in a, you can be out after 10 o'clock at night or at midnight, that the, the Nazi boots will chase you or will come in and shut down your hotel. That's what we're fighting with. And for America to continue to be free, for America to continue to prosper, we must do things God's way. We must have a biblical worldview. And once those people know the biblical worldview, then each one of you must carry that not only to your family, but to your friends and to your church and to your country in order that another generation continue to enjoy the blessings of liberty that we call America. God bless you. We hope you've been blessed by watching this teaching of a biblical worldview on socialism. Biblical Worldview is brought to you by Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College. Karis Third Year is equipping an army to go into the seven mountains of influence in every society. In our third year school of practical government, you will be equipped with a solid foundation to effectively impact the arena of government. Receive world-class instruction from renowned teachers in the history of American government, the Constitution, and a biblical worldview, and go with your classmates on a tour of the Capitol. It really broadens your idea of what a nation is and God's plan for a nation. It's an opportunity of a lifetime to find out about the origins of our nation, our history, and who we are as a people. Ignite your vision and take your mountain. For more information on our third year school of practical government, go to karisbiblecollege.org slash third year. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net. 